0: Welcome, I'm Jessica Teigen, and this is the Evolving to Exceptional podcast, where we talk about reaching peak performance in our workplaces, homes, and communities so that we can live our best life possible, an exceptional life. All right, I am so excited to introduce our guest today, Rachel Bame. Is that how you say your last name? You You nailed it. it. Awesome. Rachel Bame. And she is a uh, workplace, um, wellness, um, being and wellness coach, um, and, and works on those types of programs. And I would love for you, Rachel, to just tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. And, um, maybe just a little bit also about why you're passionate about what you do. Yeah.
1: And thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled. Um, so I work with leaders of small medium sized organizations so that they can build organizations that people don't want to leave, right which is the goal. And there's many ways to access that, but the entry point for me is holistic well-being. Um, so you might hear it called Workplace Wellness, but I look at the whole picture and I think maybe we can kind of talk about is, is what does that whole picture mean. Um, so creating effective, compliant well-being programs to drive organizational change. Be an employer choice, and then I also coach one-on-one individuals. Um, they are often single women in business, um, but don't have to be to thrive personally and professionally at the same time. It actually is possible, um, but a lot of that comes from you know no longer shoving on ourselves and overcoming imposter syndrome and setting you know proper work-life boundaries.
0: So, so I'm curious, starting with the term wellness there's there's these terms of like wellness and well-being and 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 I struggled for years. I tell this story in my book where I struggled for years with the term well-being itself and like what does it mean and like I don't know how to achieve it and um a lot of that was just where I was at in my career but I'm curious when it comes to those terms like w- what you mean by them and yeah what's what's kind of part of them.
1: Yeah, and it's such a great question because some people might see it as semantics, you know, wellness, well-being, interchangeable, um, and and they might use it as such. But others, and I find this more with my my scholarly friends, you know, we're deep nerding out in the yeah. literature. <laughs> we're saying that there's a difference between well-being and wellness, and and wellness is almost this um, this tangential thread, or, or well-being is the umbrella right? And then you have like resilience and wellness and mental health and physical health and financial well-being or wellness and all of these other kind of um, subcategories that, that create someone's overall well-being. You know, I, I think for the purposes of, of kind of the average consumer tomato-tomato for now, um, I think if we if we as practitioners and researchers really want to stand on that, level. we should do a better job of communicating it with the people, what we mean by that. Um, but I think for purposes of our conversation, at least for me, when I say it, I mean your whole self. I mean, all eight dimensions of, of wellness or well-being, your financial, your social, your spiritual, your purpose, et cetera, et cetera. What makes you thrive and be excited about life? And there's a lot that goes to that.
0: Yeah. I think what's interesting is Um, at least uh, while, while I was in the workplace was we, and with that term, you know, the terms or the differentiation is, is what you're all focused on. Right. So like with wellness, I've, I always felt like that was like health and wellness. Right. So like, uh, so when we would talk about programs or things that we would do, it'd be kind of centered around that. Like, you know, are we going to do something with yoga? Are we going to have, you know, an incentive for, for taking walks or, or, you know, working out or things like that. Versus, versus what you just described, which is much more holistic and includes a lot of different elements into it um, that actually contributes to kind of your overall sense of, of how you're doing. So I think it's helpful when you actually take that broader perspective um, and it brings a lot, a, a lot more value. Um, what do you see as... You know the most effective approach are, are what you think workplaces should really be doing when it comes to well being practices or or that holistic look at um, what's what's needed to support the individual.
1: I think there's always a rush, and, and individuals do this too, right? There's a rush to jump in and start something. Um, I heard it described. I really wish I could take. That, I heard it described as range of acts of wellness right? So, oh, we need wellness. Let's have a walking challenge. Let's have a whatever challenge. Let's do this. Like, oh, some of the other company I read about on LinkedIn is doing this. We should do that without just stop for a second. What's already working? Like no one ever asked that question. What are we already doing? What's game? How could we do more of it? That could be enough for now, but even just take us even a bigger step back. What is it that you really want? Like what, what do you not use as the individual leader, but what is the organization trying to do? Mm-hmm. Because your wellness program, wellness will be whatever, right? If your program needs to be aligned with the resource that you have, the goals that the organization have, it needs to include every employee. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to please everyone, but you need to be considerate of everyone. You know, the leaders, all of them, need to be bought into this. And so aligning it first with the organization's strategy and culture, it, it's not the fun part for some people. And it feels like a slower part because we want to just jump in and show we're doing something. But you won't be effective with the doing unless you know what and how and why you're doing it.
0: So maybe you could describe for us what that looks like. What does it look like to align, you know, well-being around strategy and resources. Like, can you give us an example of an organization's, you know, strategy and how you might then align that with, um, you know, with what you're doing from a, a well-being standpoint? Absolutely. So, I mean, some of the, the initial questions I would ask, even just
1: in a consultation with with a leader who's considering, who's considering my kind of three-phase approach to building their program, is if you did nothing else this year... What do you want the wellness program to do? If there was only one thing, what would it be? And related, you know, in a year from now, if you're, you know, overhearing kind of the quote water cooler talk, right? Mm -hmm. To colleagues, to employees talk about the wellness program, what do you want them to be saying? Um, Where is the organization going? is, Is another thing I mentioned. So, are you trying to be an employer of choice? Are, is your focus, are your metrics going to be recru- recruitment and retention? Okay, does does a yoga class, they're great, I'm not, yeah, but just, as right, right. you said, it's a go to, right? That one step challenge and like healthy cafeteria
0: food, right? right, <laughs> right. Or yeah, those machine, are right? the like it's, Those first are the three, things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Are those really going to be appealing?
1: If the answer is yes, okay, do people know about it, right? Are, are they, the employees that are there using it? If not, do they know about it? Are they afraid to use it? Because your culture has for so long focused on FaceTime. So yes, you have it, but no one's using it because managers are still focused on measuring by FaceTime rather than output. So, um, so it's, yeah, and then just one other thing, sorry, because no. T- it's tied to that, H- can you integrate, so every every employer, right, has some type of evaluation or recognition or, or some sort of uh, formula for that, some sort of structure for that. Put the wellness into it to incentivize people to take action, to make the leader support it um, so that it. It really ties everything together.
0: So I, I, I was jumping in there because um, yeah. it related so much to. Kind of my past experience. So some of the the story I talk about is so I was an a, executive leader over multiple operations functions, including talent management, or our HR, IT, all those different functions. And so part of my job or my responsibilities was to look at our practices and you know and and how could we focus on it and do a better job and all those things. And yet I ultimately um, ended up burning out and, um, experiencing, you know, such extreme stress that I, I had to, it took me a year probably to recover from that, that burnout. And, um, it made me think about that, that challenge that you're talking about with the culture. So you can have, one of the things we did was we had, um, a, as needed time off. So you could take time off, um, whenever, whenever you needed to for, for personal time, we still had vacation, but, um, so you could take time off if you were sick and, and it, it was one of our best benefits and it was great. And there was an expectation that you would still then get your work done. So you would take that time off, but you would still meet performance expectations and results and, and be a professional and all those things. And one of the things looking back now, I think, um, really speaks to, to that challenge is that if the, if the culture is high performance, our values were, were one of our values was driven. So like driven to work hard, get a lot done, do a lot, then, then taking time or taking time to really like recover and not, you know, working extra later, um, wasn't part of the culture. So, so the, the, those behaviors, how often do you see that as one of the big hurdles when it comes to um, implementing practices?
1: All the time. <laughs> I mean, when you were sharing that, and first I just so appreciate as also a listener, you know, how open you are about your experiences, because that's how we can learn, you know, yeah. it's not just from the sites and the best practices, but what have we experienced that makes us so passionate about this work um, we, you know, for instance, we were talking about putting this into the structure and then also you mentioned the ability to feel like you can even take the time off when it's, when it's afforded to you. If somebody doesn't have a backup at, at work, right? Somebody that they can say here for like one day, take care of this, right? They're not going to take a minute. They're not going to take for a real mental health day you Know, or if they do, they're not actually going to be off. Um, I think one of my personal experiences with this was you know, I have great, I have the out of office, you know, email on there, and I would try so nicely, nicely to say, just like, don't email me, <laughs> like, you right. see, you see, it's there if you're internal. I, I'm out, don't email me, right? But okay, you did, whatever. Um, I've said. While I'm gone, I I don't have access to this. Please, please email this person for this or this person for this. But I come back to like 20 million and being dramatic, but like all of these CCs that essentially say she'll handle it when she's back. Well, then what's the point of having the backup? If you're not going to take care of it, you're just going to kick it until I'm back. So really be aware of like, gee, you've designated a backup, but are they actually serving as a backup? What are the expectations for that relationship when somebody is out? Um, if I'm designating you as a backup, I trust you to handle the project, and you can catch
0: me up when you're done. I don't need 20 CCs on those same email. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just email. Uh, a of pet peeve of mine. I think most people use it ineffectively, um, especially mm. within especially within organizations when it comes to um, h- how they're emailing and and how they're using it. So, so what kinds of practices, so once you've got kind of alignment on, on the organization, what types of programs or, or practices are you bringing into the workplace? Like what, do, what do you bring in that really makes, makes a difference?
1: So, I mean, it really, so it can be, I don't want to completely knock and shouldn't look at the cafeteria, the vending machine, you know, if people right. are still having cafeterias. Those are great. Um, you can do them effectively. I would say just two quick things on that before I give other examples that aren't often thought about. Step challenges are kind of the quick, the quick go-to, but I would also be mindful of your ADA policies and maybe call it a movement challenge because not everybody can step. Not everybody wants to. Some people are cycling. They want to feel a like part of this challenge, but they're a they're cyclist. They love that you know you're going to get emails why can't this count so maybe like movement minutes or something (laughs) um biggest loser challenges it's it's a catchy phrase because of the show but not everybody needs or wants to lose weight and that's kind of where you draw the line of what is the real job of the employer so healthy habits challenge um might be better um Other things are around, to your point about email, you know, your email is not your to-do list. So how are you using emails and meetings effectively? Having those questions are actually a wellness, can be part of a wellness Mm -hmm. program. You know, um, do your meetings always run long? Do people have a break to even go to the bathroom between them? What if you set the meeting to where the break was at the front end, right? So human behavior, we're going to go, oh, we have 10 more minutes. Let's just finish this up. Right. If you started the meeting at like two ten and went to three o'clock, you're more likely to come out with a temp break. And if you start at um, like two o'clock and try to go to two fifty,
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. little just little things like that can actually make a big, big difference. So we look at the operations. Um, we look at kind of the, the daily life of the organization as well as some of the more common. Oh, it's health and wellness. It's nutrition and exercise.
0: So it's interesting as you talk about that. Um, well, one my one of my running jokes is like to to be an effective leader. I had to learn how to how to hold it all day so I could make it through all those meetings and actually not have to go to the bathroom um and then when i became a, a mom and was having to pump it was a real problem because you couldn't absolutely not pump and go to the bathroom in a given break that was like not not even feasible so um but i think you know what's what's interesting or what what i think of when i think of um my own journey and my own struggle with with stress is i'm not sure i was really aware of how much my well-being was negatively impacted i'm not sure i had a way to tell um as it as it was building up i i always talk about my burnout experience as it being like a slow burn where um it wasn't like there was some massive explosion and i i imploded all of a sudden and everything was terrible it was more like slowly over time i, I was just worn down until all of a sudden i was like oh my gosh the whole f- forest burned down And when that happened, you know, like I, I didn't, I didn't realize what was happening while it was happening. And I, I, I guess I, I wonder, um, about people, if there's ways for people to be able to tell how are they really doing, you know, how, how are they really managing and coping with the stresses of life, including the stresses of, of the workplace that would, you know, more so than just, are you health at a healthy weight or are you, you know, even biggest loser, you know, statistically, most of the people that even go on biggest loser end up gaining, uh, much, if not all of the weight back, if you, if you go and, and look at it. So it's like, are those really impacting people long-term? Are they really impacting the the energy in the organization, the, the overall performance of people and, and you know, trying to understand how how are people really doing? What what is it that they really need? Um, and even for them to be aware of that need. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, there's oh, there's so much good stuff that you just shared. I mean, the first, th- a few things that come to mind. The first being, you know, James Clark says, you know, we might many of us at least be familiar with um, the concept of the invisible hand, right, from economics. And the environment is like the invisible hand when it comes to behavior. And that's why I'm obsessed with, with creating for my clients, organizations or individuals, you know, systems for success, right? How, what, what the air quality of your, your environment is affects what you do and how you do it. Your, the lighting, you know, the colors, right? There's a reason fast food restaurants have red (laughs) And, and not soothing colors, right? Red actually can, I mean, there's some debate on this, but, but, there's a lot of, of synergy there, like red boosts or increases your metabolism and your, your blood pressure, whereas green and blue are, are soothing. So typically in healthcare and wellness programs. So all of these, these little things to create the environment. Um, and the reason I mentioned that is because as soon as like anything, awareness is the first step. So even if you're learning about this, realizing like it's it's for you. It's for a friend. You might start observing how, oh, I'm actually exposed to a lot of these things. I wonder if they're affecting me. Well, let's, let's treat it like an experiment. Let's have some fun with it. What if I made some changes? Oh, no, that didn't work out. Okay. Maybe this. Oh, oh, wow. I feel so much better. I didn't even realize my shoulders were to my earlobes.
0: Mm. Um,
1: you know, just The more you learn, just question, like, would that be beneficial for me? Would it not? Am I noticing these things myself? But to your point, you know, a fish doesn't know about water until it's out of it is kind of that saying, right? So in addition to just learning about some of these concepts and ways other things may hit you and experimenting with that, if you start to notice um, disturbances in your sleep, that can be an early warning sign that you're very stressed on the way to, to burnout and, and burnout isn't just stress and exhaustion. It's, it's you know, three, it's cynicism, it's lack of, of self-efficacy. So when you hit all three for an extended period of time at once, that's when you are technically in burnout. But it is that stress continuum. Right. So if you if you notice that you've been stressed for a really long time, take a step back, check yourself. If you feel like you're not sleeping very well, if you're starting to get yourself right constant imposter syndrome, you check yourself. If you observe that in a friend, they're constantly shooting on themselves, they're beating themselves up. I'm no longer good at this. They're questioning why they're even at the organization. All of those are warning signs that they that there's something going on, and they are probably on their way to hitting burnout. And the goal is, of course, to you know stamp that out.
0: Yeah, well and and I think your your analogy of, of the fish out of the out of water is really a powerful one especially in a world where you know we're almost constantly inundated with with stress. Um when you made the comment about like identifying if you're under stress a lot, um my reaction was like, well, like wh- when was I not? You know, for for years I was actually under stress for so long. I didn't know a life of not being in a, in a stress, um, you know, hyper uh, sympathetic nervous system type of state. I didn't even know those terms at the time to understand the the difference, you know, despite, I'm um, you know, having a, a, an extensive education, I, you know, went to law school, got my juris doctorate. And I kind of joke that I started bad, you know, operating in a place of stress in law school, and then just never stopped. Like just, yeah. just that was just normal. That was just how, how you live. And I think that's probably the case for a good amount of people out there that they've just lived in a hyper stressed, uh, you know, pressures at work, pressures at home. You've got kids, you got family, you've got, you know, whatever is happening in your life, you know, somebody with an illness, your own health challenges, whatever's going on. And the, the stresses kind of don't stop. Um, and so, you know, when I talk about burnout, I talk about that. There's there's kind of three key elements. I'm cu- I'm curious. To get your thoughts on this. I talk about there's three key elements. One is um, our environment, the the where where we are, the culture, the the experiences we're having, what's happening in that place, our own individual limiting beliefs that are our fears that are contributing to, our continuing to push beyond reasonable limits. And then there's just those crises, like the things that just happen, um, that we actually can't do anything about, like global pandemics and someone getting sick or, or those things that just occur in our lives. And so because we can't do anything about, um, the crises, um, then we have to really address the other two, two areas or the other true elements that we actually can, can do something about. And, um, so it makes me think like with that level of, of not being able to necessarily see it, you know, not necessarily being able to, to. Um, recognize stress. How how do you help people start to to recognize the difference? You know that the, the yeah. that what they need to do to actually shift.
1: Well, I think there's a couple of things that are important to to make distinctions about. The first is that there's a difference between stressors and stress response. Yeah. Um. Just like there's there's good stress and there's and there's I hate good and bad because, you know, that gets into like an existential conversation, (laughs) but there's, there's helpful stress and there's unhelpful stress, right? Helpful stress is, oh my God, I'm going to be giving a talk. Ah." Um, But that's, if you use it correctly, if you channel it correctly, um, that could, that's going to drive you to excel, right? Or it could be this Anxiety-inducing. Oh my god! I don't want to do this. I'm terrified. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, And your your body doesn't actually know the difference. It just knows stressor, and it's going to respond. It's your mind that's that's giving it the judgment. So the great TED Talk on making friends with stress that I encourage everyone to to check out. And I am I love the researcher. I'm blanking on her name now. Um. So so that's something. The terms of stress versus stressors that's related, right? The stressor could be gone. But if you don't like finish that stress response, if right. you don't get it out of you, you're just there, still in it. Um, and there's another great analogy that I use. You know, when you squeeze a lemon, you get lemonade, lemon juice, and you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. Like whatever you squeeze, you're going to get that out of it. And so if, if I squeeze like, pretty much almost any human, any adult in the 21st century, stress juice is going to come out of them. So if you're listening to this, most likely we're talking to you, even if you don't realize it. Yeah. And so that's where that experimentation comes in. You know, if you don't want to, I'll phrase it a different way because I think sometimes if you're not at the point of awareness, I said to you, if you don't want to like have the negative effects of stress, you know, I'm going to lose you because you already are thinking, well, I'm not stressed. I won't have that anyways. So let me phrase it differently. If you want to live your best life do your best work, have even more energy and focus, right. Um, we then explore some of these common um interventions for lack of a better word these tactics like improving your sleep taking like taking a one minute breathing exercise mm-hmm. you know working out etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, because that whether or not you think you need it because you're stressed or because you want personal excellence I don't care just do it and I realize that you probably weren't doing it before and it's you're going to have all of these positive benefits
0: so I, I wonder if, um, I like what you said there and I wonder if, uh, a way to talk about it is actually to, to say that it's inevitable. You're facing stressors, right? There are stressors in your life and whether you feel stressed or not, your body is, is reacting in some way to that, to those stressors. Like there's, there are triggers there and whether you're effectively Completing that stress response and and bringing yourself back into balance and and doing those things or not is going to determine, I think, the well being element, right? So yes. so instead yeah. of and 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 so instead of saying like it's a yes or a no, am I stressed or am I not? It's a we're all facing stressors all the time. Am I responding to those stressors in the most effective ways and implementing practices to help me? reduce the effect or to to minimize the negative effects of those stressors while capitalizing on the positive effects.
1: Yes. A great visual. I'm super into analogies. Um, anyone that knows me can tell you that. <laughs> Sometimes they don't work, so hopefully this does. But I don't play tennis, but so anybody who is aware of tennis, probably aware of the automated ball throwers things. Yep. Clearly, I'm not a tennis aficionado. But Think about it this way you're standing on the court and somebody has turned that thing on. Are you being pelted by all the balls coming at you? Or are you able to respond and, and hit them back? Right? So that is how are you going to respond to stress? They're going to come at you no matter what. Are you going to be pelted by them? Or are you able to kind of, at least for the most part, keep up and hit them back
0: mm-hmm. and which would you rather be? Mm-hmm. So
1: all of these things that we're talking about, um, are going to help you
0: hit hit back, yeah, and i I just to add on to that, I love that analogy and 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 standing there and being really strong and being able to just take it <laughs> is not a good strategy no, I, you're get like, from like personal experience, yeah, just, yeah, just being like yeah. I can handle this is, is, is eventually you won't be able to.
1: Right. Yeah. You're not a stoic wall when, like, when tennis balls are flying in
0: your face. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, I think, um, I think something else you said that was, was interesting to me was, um, around, you know, those, those strategies, um, you know, then of, of what you can do and what you can apply. And you talked about breathing. Um, and I, my, in my more recent experience, um, the power of breathing, I overlooked that for most of my life. Can you speak a little bit to that of, of just the, how simple a technique like that can make a difference?
1: Yes. And, and, and I overlooked it too, you know, when I first started looking at this, I am originally from kind of a health fitness perspective. And so, um, you know, I was like, oh yeah, whatever and you know i don't want to be too woo woo you know uh just be woo woo it's great um breathing is the way that we can kind of control our nervous system mm-hmm. right? when you when the exhale is slower than the inhale And this is, you know, as, as also research, I have to say what we know so far (laughs) based on what we've learned so far, when, when the exhale is slower than the inhale, it goes, it takes you into kind of the rest and digest mode, right? You could also use it. Say you need an afternoon pick me up, right? But then hitting more caffeine, which is going to affect your sleep, which can affect your cravings and so on. And, And you don't, maybe you can't like up the stairs quickly and just kind of get your heart rate going that way. You could use breathing. You could do a rapid inhale, exhale, and that will kind of perk you back up. Um, there are so many different types for so many different things, for focus, for energy, for calming, for like kind of emergency 101 or, or SOS. You could do it for a minute. And, you know, a lot of the research shows that even just a minute has new the benefits. Um, there's another one I'm exploring right now called the cyclic sigh. Um, and I learned about it from the Huberman podcast. So I definitely plug, he has, um, Dr. Huberman has done a few podcast episodes really in depth, like two, four hours on some of these protocols. So definitely want to reference that. The cyclic side, yes, if you did it for five minutes every day, certainly benefits, but even just doing it one minute a day, building up to that, it, it allows you to have all of these benefits. Um, And it's going to make you more aware of when you start to enter the negative stress cycle and help you get back out of it. So it's going to improve your awareness. And um, as somebody who also turned a nose at it for a while, I cannot stress enough how important it is to just give yourself permission to explore some of these.
0: Yeah. If I were to go back, if there were one thing I would advise a workplace to do, it would be to implement some balanced breathing, like, uh, you know, just, just six in six out, whatever for two to three minutes, three minutes sets you up for like eight hours or something like that. Before yeah. you make any big decisions before you go yes. get into any major conversations, like take that step. One of my favorite stories is, so as I learned this and I agree with you, it's so powerful. And I was a skeptic. So I've got little kids. I've got a six-year-old uh, son and, and twin three-year-old girls and there was one day where, like, they were just all melting down, losing their mm-hmm. minds. And I said, okay, pause. We're not doing anything until everybody in the family, mommy, daddy, everybody included, b- breathes for three minutes. I was yeah. like, we're not doing anything. No, we're not going anywhere. not playing anything. So everybody had to sit and everybody breathed and and it shifted everybody. When we were done, everybody was calmer, we could talk now, we could move forward. And it it's only 3 minutes, right? It's only, it's like it's a minuscule amount of time. So yeah, I agree just that simple technique is so so powerful.
1: Well, especially if you think, you know, somebody might say, I don't have three minutes, I gotta get this out now. And and I argue a couple of things. The first is, you know, just like in personal really like um romantic relationships, you know, the work on like are you a stonewaller versus a communicate, you know, no relationship benefits from stonewalling, number one. So if you are just firing out these responses, you probably misread the email, you've injected a tone, you don't know, you're not aware of how it's hitting you. It could be, mis- it could be misinterpreting. And then that can lead to a cascade, which can lead to kind of stonewalling. right? So you don't have time for that in your organization. You do have time to fit in three minutes, one minute of, of breathing, um, to make sure that you're reading it correctly. The other thing is, or, or making any decision, you know, from a clear, clear mind and, and not whatever state it's hit the first uh, kind of that, that first prompt is hitting you. The other thing is your Victor Frankl said between stimulus and response, there's freedom, right? There's that choice. So meditation, mindfulness, breathing, all of these help you recognize when you can take a moment, you don't actually have to respond right away. Mm, right. You really don't. You can take a minute. Worst case scenario, they're going to think you're super busy and popular, which is just a benefit for people in business.
0: Yes, 100%. So I'm curious, how do you get employees to actually use the techniques, the, 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 the strategies, the well-being elements or wellness elements that you bring in, how do you get them to, to actually do those things? You just talked about like the resistance to potentially like doing the breathing, we're busy. How do you, for all the different things you kind of bring in or, or, or suggestions you have, how do you get people doing them?
1: Well, there's typically, so thank you for asking that because I think the biggest thing is you have to, people have to have patience. Right. So just because you've announced it and you're excited to you throw some money at this, you need to give it time to really catch on and spiral, you know, especially if the organization is really large. The other thing is, again, you're not gonna hit every single person with every single offering, which is why you want to have a holistic approach. Often the biggest hurdle is marketing. People don't know it's there. The next thing is if they know it's there, do they feel comfortable using it? So have leaders talk about how they are using, like, oh, I did this amazing lunch and learn. Have them email their team and say, hey, next Wednesday, you know, we're doing a a Zoom on X, Y, and Z. I'm gonna be there, I hope you will join me, right? You don't have to make it mandatory because that's gonna not give you the effects you want. But having them lead by example, right? I have emergency backup care and I used it because I had to get to a meeting but my kid was sick and I couldn't cancel. Thank goodness we have this benefit. I use it too. I empower you all to take advantage of it. Um, EAP programs. So creating an environment where people know about it, where they feel comfortable using it, and giving permission for it to catch on is going to be huge.
0: Yeah. Well, in EAP programs, I mean – so i've used it i i used ours and i encouraged yeah, use but but use was always really low it was really hard to get people um and and one of the things i think is it, even with like if they needed support or or coaching you know i think that was probably the most common was to get a therapist or or, or you know some type of support that way it because it was only a a couple of sessions i think most people would uh, be like, well, I'm, you know, it's going to end anyway, you know, it's not worth getting started. Cause I don't, you know, can't pay for it beyond that or, or whatever. How do you get people to either learn about those, those elements or, and I, and I guess maybe my question is more about, how, and I like some of the things you talked about, but, but integrating, you know, how do you integrate this so that it's not just another thing over here, mm-hmm. but it's like in their lives, it's what they're doing every day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is going to depend on the organization, um, to be quite honest with you, right? Like, what is the current culture? I think two things to keep in mind that I can speak to at a broad level for your question. First is, I personally don't think it's the employer's job to make the employees care about their health. Mm -hmm. We already care, (laughs) I have never not cared about my health. I may have not realized the way all different things were intertwined. You know, I'm stressed out, or I have imposter syndrome, which means I'm not, you know, going after promotions, which affects my financial well-being, which affects, etc. Um, I'm, you know, single in the workplace, so I'm constantly picking up the slack, which is why I'm single because I'm stuck in the workplace and I'm swiping online, you know, trying to find a date, to find a family to have work-life balance or whatever. Right? You don't always realize the way these intertwine. Um, the other, I started to go down a rabbit hole on that, so sorry, but to pull back to your question, um, we, in terms of marketing, we, so, so the employees already care, it's not your job to make them care, it's your job to facilitate the way in which they show care. Um, the other piece is going back to that marketing, you know, I, I am so guilty of this too, and I'm working really hard to change it we talk about like burnout prevention, stress management, healthy, have you know, broccoli and, and whatever, cauliflower rice, like, okay, well, if you've bought into that, that sounds great. If you haven't, it, it doesn't sound so great. So, you know, advice that was given to a group of us a long time, like, you know, earlier this year was, we need to take kind of marketing lessons from like the fast food places, <laughs> like the energy tree, like, Red Bull gives you wings, right? Like that's, that's a great, that's a great catchy phrase. Like who wouldn't want to have wings? I'm going to go drink a Red Bull. So how can we use some of these, these marketing tips and tools and tap into somebody's desire for growth rather than the desire to prevent negatives.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and if you
1: can find ways to do that, I, I imagine your program will catch on. Um, the, the buy-in will be better and then the final piece is going back to systems in the environment. It doesn't always have to be these huge programs. It could be a, as simple as how do we restructure the office environment to make it more conducive? You know, just like an individual can rearrange their kitchen so that the unhealthy stuff is in the top shelf and the, you know, the healthy stuff is front and center. Little little tweaks to the environment can add up to big changes. So just being open to experimenting with these tweaks will help make it a daily, a daily routine.
0: So let's, let's, you brought up the, the singles in the workplace. And I know that that's a, a passion of yours and something that's been a hot topic lately. And I know from my own family experience, I have a sister who, who's single. And, um, and so she has this tendency to push harder, to pick up more of the workload, um, because you know, quote unquote, she can, right? She like, w- w- I've got three small kids. Like, when I have to pick them up, I have to pick them up. the the, right. the The daycare's closing. Like, there's no, there's no choice. My kids coming home on the bus. Somebody has to be there, right? Like, there's literally yeah. no choice. Um, but for somebody who's single, there's there's a little bit more choice in that. Uh, but there's. I would imagine, you know, pretty significant consequences of that. You know, my sister's an an engineer, she's a, um, leader in a, in a technology space. Um, and, uh, she burns out, you know, from, from having to push so hard. Um, tell us a little bit about that, that the coaching you do that supports single women in, in their, in their pursuit of trying to find well and, and balance do you
1: see the movie while you were sleeping this is the throwback um with <laughs> Sandra Bullock so totally not the point of the movie but leave it to me to help, like harp on this part in the very beginning you know he her boss is like hey I have a question she's like I'm not working Christmas and he says but you're the only one without family and she's like and the next thing is she's working Christmas right that is an example of some of the things that we see where it's assumed that because you as a single person, male or female don't have the, the, uh, the quote nuclear family, right. That you're, you don't have a life outside of work. And that is so not true. You know, a question that's been posed in some of these conversations is why, if somebody wants to take off those, either their kids' soccer game Great. That's immediately considered, maybe not for every organization, but for some organizations that are more advanced in this work-life balance conversation, that's that's seen as okay. But if a single person wants to take off the same hour early to go train for a marathon or an Ironman or something that they're doing, they would probably never have the coach even ask for that, or they might guise it under, you know, a doctor's appointment. Right, because it's seen as something selfish. It's for them, not for someone else. It's it's not as valid. Mm-hmm. And the question is, either way, it's it's an hour out of that person's work time. Why is it not any less valid? That comes down to kind of moral judgments that we're making, and this idea in society that everybody, if you're already, if you're not already partnered, you just haven't found your person yet. Something might be wrong with you you You're here to pick up the slack until you until you have those those external demands, in which case work life balance is still a problem but it looks different
0: well, and i I think you make a good point in that um I think that is a a paradigm, right that that um and and I probably was guilty of of speaking to this in my in my early career of that in your 20s if you don't have kids, you don't have family, like that's that's when to put in those extra hours, that's mm-hmm. when to push extra hard. Like you you have the bandwidth to do it, you can do it. Um for a lot of people, you know that eventually you do want a family, so you you may not you know, be able to do it at some point. And so there's this like stigma that that's generally the path people are, you know, quote unquote, supposed to take, right. I, you know, do this. And then I, then I find a person and we get married and we have kids and that's like the, and I think your, your point in that there's a shift there that, that there is a group of people who either, either intentionally or unintentionally are not um, walking that path or certainly not doing it for the sake of it. You know, I think that's Mm -hmm. part of it too, is that, um, it's not as though some, some of these people, um, in single individuals couldn't be married. Like there's plenty of, of divorces out there that say that, you know, you can get married and it not work, but they're, they're waiting for that. Or they're, you know, choose or even choosing a life not to, to, to get married and have, have children. There are definitely, I can see benefits to that. Maybe (laughs) I'm a little jaded right now with small kids, but But, you know, so I think I think there's a paradigm shift for leaders and for people that only think in one way to really intentionally consider that bias, consider that bias towards families versus, um, you know, seeing the world through a singles perspective. Yeah, I mean, so. Work life, And I, I have to say, I really hate the term life balance, but I've used it because everybody knows it.
1: But I, it's all life. It's, it's work and non-work. It's personal, professional, right? So when I'm saying work-life balance, please know I'm just choosing not to die on that hill today. Um, but work-life balance is not synonymous with family-friendly. Mm-hmm. So if you're in that organization, ask yourself, does the policy reflect that it's not synonymous? Or are you treating like they're the same? Um, there's a push for benefit programs to be a little bit more cafeteria or buffet style rather than an all in one. So, for example, OK, you're a single employee. They don't benefit from from dependents having health insurance because they don't have dependents. How else might you make that equitable? So it's it's, it's not that one is better than the other. It's just different and equitable. Um, the other thing you mentioned, a huge benefit for, for leaders to look at their policies. There's also a benefit for businesses to consider their products and services. Because mm. there's a growing population of singles, by choice or otherwise, right? Um, you know, do no kids, by choice or otherwise. And they don't benefit from the buy one, get one specials or the Costco size wedders, um, they don't benefit from single family housing. So, what are you? You know, if you want to serve and to grow your market share, look at the. You know, that's another reason to look at this population and see how you create how you create products and services for them too.
0: Yeah, and I I love um I love the idea of challenging our paradigms and 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 our biases and looking at that that segment. And I think you know I think what you talked about work-life balance, and I I share your dislike of our distaste <laughs> for that term. And I, I the the where I've navigated to with that is a a lot a lot more of this language around how do we balance our beings, how do we balance mm-hmm. um, who we are and how we show up and what we are as as a being, as a living you know, being that, that changes from day to day, that reacts differently in different environments, that has unique and different, uh, personality and character traits. And, and all of that creates that uniqueness that, that kind of a la carte or, you know, buffet style can really benefit so much, I think so much better than, um, you know, than the, 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 the very specific, um, you know, specifically defined programs or or uh, benefits or things like that right. that um, make it more difficult to to build in that flexibility.
1: Yes, I yes, I love that the balanced being. I really love
0: that term. So I so appreciate you being here, Rachel. This is a great conversation. Is there anything um, you want to uh, share with our listeners or anything else you want to, to tell them about um, before we go?
1: I think just the biggest takeaway is, it, you know, try to avoid random acts of wellness. <laughs> if nothing else, you know, take, even if it's for you, not just your organization, take a second, just think about where do you really want to go? And what are you doing now that's working and how can you do more of that?
0: I love that. I think that's a great, uh, great suggestion. If people want to get in touch with you, if there are workplaces who want to focus on some of these practices, where can they reach out to you? Where can they find you? Yeah,
1: please go to my website. It's RachBame. So B-O-B-H-M, RachBame.com.
0: And all of, contacts, all of the contacts are right there. Well, fantastic. Rachel, you've, you've added so much value and I just absolutely love the topic. Thank you so much for coming on today. It was absolutely great having you.
1: Thank you, Jessica. I really appreciate the opportunity. It was really fun.